0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Sangram Vajray, the co-founder and CMO of Terminus, a SaaS platform that enables sales and marketing teams to run account-based marketing, or ABM, at scale. Before co-founding Terminus, Sangram led the marketing team at Pardot through its acquisition by ExactTarget and then by Salesforce. He's also the author of account-based marketing for Dummies and the guy behind FlipMyFunnel.com, a community for B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals. So this is a story about three first-time founders who set out to build an account-based marketing platform. In those days, most people didn't even know what ABM was. They didn't have much money and realized how difficult it was going to be for them to get attention of their target customers, in other words, B2B marketers. So they asked themselves a simple question, how can we stand out? They did that by building a community first and focusing on educating their prospective customers instead of pitching their products. In this episode, you'll learn how a blog post helped them get the attention of their target customers, how they organized their first conference and got 300 people to show up, how they turned a small conference into a community of thousands of people, how they drove sales by educating, not pitching, and how they dealt with high customer churn in the early days when their product really wasn't up to what customers expected. Today, Terminus has raised over $20 million in funding and has almost 200 employees. And there are some great ideas in this interview, no matter what stage you're at, that you might be able to use to help your product to stand out in the market by also focusing on community and educating your target customers. And you don't need thousands of people to build that community. Terminus started with just 300 people. So there's some good lessons here and and I hope you get something out of it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with boopos.com. to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's toolkit.com. Sangram, welcome to the show. Thanks,
1: man. Excited to be here.
0: Let's start by finding out a little bit more about what drives or motivates you. Is there a favorite quote or you know, something that you can share that just kind of gives us an idea of like what motivates you, what gets you out of bed every day to work on your
1: business? <laughs> Absolutely, man. This is in the early days at terminus where we came up with the phrase called keys to the ferrari and mind you nobody owns a ferrari here at the company or probably haven't sat in it but the idea was that one idea can change the world and we would always say to each other especially in the early days and now more than ever is like man or or whoever is on the team is like you have the keys to the ferrari we we have hired you because we believe you can drive it as fast as you can take it the curviest road, uh, more treacherous things, and uh, we think that you are in the driver's seat. So it really became an internal value system. So it is one of our two core values is keys to the Ferrari.
0: Love it. All right. So tell us a little bit about Terminus. Like what does the product do and what's the problem you're trying to solve and for who?
1: Sure. Uh, So I'll start with the problem, which is less than 1% of the leads are turning into a customer. And it's not something I say, uh, which i have actually had this experience as I was running marketing at Pardot and went to the acquisition and was at Salesforce. We, we just started getting really good at creating more and more leads. And what happened over a period of time was that not all leads are equal. So really Forrester did a research in 2015 that pulled this together and said that, hey, based on their research, it shows that less than 1% of the leads are turning to customers. Now. If you take a step back and think about that, that really means that really it's, we're not driving revenue. We're not uh, marketing and sales. 99% of their time, energy, money, and resources is not getting spent on driving revenue. So what the heck are they doing? So that's the problem statement. And it's pretty big and bold that we try to tackle. And as a result of that, we created um, Terminus, co-founder Terminus, three and a half years ago, where our whole idea is around flipping funnels, where instead of focusing on the leads that may or may not be your target account, why not start with the best fit account that you want to sell to, especially if you're in B2B? Why not engage them on their terms as opposed to just emails and calls? And why not turn them into advocates? So the product, what it does is today at its core is an account-based advertising platform where you can literally tell us Here are the 50 companies I want to get in front of. And here are the roles of the people that I want to get in front of. And we will be able to put your message in front of them across mobile, uh, LinkedIn, web videos, any channels. And all of that is proactive, which means they don't have to come to your website and see and, and then follow through the retargeting kind of mess. We would put proactive ads and messages of you on their website, wherever they go, and then also track if they're engaging with those accounts. So what it really does is for your marketing and sales team, it alerts them which accounts that you care about are engaging and which accounts that you care about are spending time with you on your website. So how
0: do you guys do that on the back end? Like, are you kind of hooked up to Facebook ad platform and AdWords and stuff like that?
1: So it's almost the opposite of AdWords, right? Because AdWords is like, we have to type in something to find, and then an ad would appear. So it's almost the, the competitor of AdWords, if you will. But the way we hooked up on the back end is through the IP targeting and cookie targeting through DMPs. So what we have is once you tell us, hey, look, I want to go after, let's just say, Salesforce as a company, and I want to go after IT function because that's who we're selling our product to, and those are the roles that I care about then all of them, these people at Salesforce and IT function, for example, might be going to, let's say, ESPN or some other websites. And when they do, they're kind of giving permission to ESPN to have those cookies where they will have the information about, oh, we have somebody from Salesforce, we have somebody from IT function here. And then when somebody tells us like, hey, that's who they want to target to, we then have a you know, very privacy oriented, focus on advertising where we're able to work with ESPN and they would say, okay, anybody who comes from Salesforce, they should see this ad. So it's almost like a bidding process that happens just like stock symbols and all the ticker symbol goes up and down. This is exactly how the advertising world works. But the beauty is that it is all proactive and more importantly, it is all targeted. So if If that person does not fit the profile, you will never see the ad. And that's why maybe the quote that I really started off with, you know, with the company was this big John Wanamaker quote, which is half of the money that we spend on marketing and sales works. We just don't know which half. And and that is the question that we're answering. We're like, you know what? If you tell us the companies and the people you're going to target, we're going to put your message in front of them so you know exactly how much money you're spending on those accounts and also tell you if they're engaging or not.
0: So you use the platform as a way to advertise to whatever these target companies are. The platform tells you about, as you said, you know, how these people are responding or engaging. And then how does it help with sort of the next step? Like, how do I use that platform to actually get to that customer?
1: That's a great question. So now imagine your marketing team is selling sales. It's like, okay, sales here, team, you're working on these 50 accounts or 100 accounts. Let me tell you, of these 100 accounts that you're working on, Here are the 10 accounts that we are putting ads in front of, are engaging with those ads, we're engaging with your message. And not only that, they're now coming to our website and spending time with us. So from a priority perspective, instead of working on these other 90 accounts, focus on these 10 accounts because there is where you have the highest value and highest propensity to buy. And what's even interesting is we all know, especially in B2B, It's not one person who's making the decision so typically there are three four five seven ten people part of the decision making process so imagine what what we do is we are able to tell our sales team is that and it's not just that these 10 accounts are spending time there are five people from each one of these accounts that are spending time which means that there is clearly a discussion going on there's clearly conversations happening and none of these guys are going to fill up the form nobody likes to fill forms but they will always check out the website and they will always look at who these people are to see if they have the right things or not. So having that level of air cover for your sales team and giving them the insight who to prioritize and focus to get deals done is like a game changer for most sales organization. How did you guys come up with the idea for this? Oh man, so that goes to a lot of credit goes to my co-founders for building a lot of this tech. And so both Eric Spet and Eric Vass, who are my co-founders, who actually started the company and I joined about six months later as a co-founder later, they built the technology around automated advertising. And it was operating more like an agency uh, where we'll get email addresses of people and we'll be able to run ads on it. But then when I came in and I because I ran marketing at Pardot and, and then through Salesforce. I'm the marketer at heart, so I'm like, man, if you put these five pieces together, that's account-based marketing. And they were like, well, what is account-based marketing? And we Googled it, I still remember, and there was not much written on it. I'm like, well, that's why. This is the next hottest trend. And we all laughed about it because clearly everyone has a big idea, right? But thanks to us and, and, and lucky that we are, we are uh, we're able to really pull this together, ended up writing a book on this idea of account-based marketing that Wiley's published in 2016, um, that led to the whole category creation around ABM. So is that the,
0: the account based marketing for dummies book?
1: Yeah, that is, uh, yeah, that is the one. And, and again, like you, I mean, people can do this search. I think Google trends is really cool to do that where you can literally see that until 2015, there's absolutely nothing on Google trends, but from 2015 to now it's like skyrocketing and continuously going up and up and up for this phrase, account based marketing. Which essentially just shows that it is no longer a buzzword; it is actually a thing that people practice.
0: Okay, so you've kind of got this idea. You guys, you've kind of educated, you know, your co-founders on on account-based marketing. Did you do anything to validate this idea, and and then how did you go and build the product?
1: That is the fun part. Um, the way we went about that was uh, through the process of community first. Now. If anybody's listening in B2B, they probably know that there are 7,000, if not 10,000 companies in MarTech alone that are targeting and selling to B2B marketers. And our product is targeting and selling to B2B marketers. So to stand out in a sea of so many companies for three co-founders, first-time co-founders, if you will, uh, most of us, based here in Atlanta, not a lot of money in the early days raised, trying to build an entirely new category, that just sounds ludicrous, right? Like that just doesn't sound a recipe for success. And so that's why we had to go a very different route. We said, you know what, in order to make sure that we exist, we need to make sure that the category exists. And in order to make sure that the category exists, we have to create enough noise around the problem that exists. And at the same time in 2015, this Forrester came out with the research uh, that I shared earlier, which is less than 1% of the lead customer customers. We grabbed that as a cornerstone problem. And we talked to everybody and saying, do we all believe this is a problem? And everybody's like, yeah, we do. Great. We ended up creating this Flip My Funnel conference that brought in the best minds in B2B marketing and sales to talk about the problem. No product pitch. Terminus wasn't. I wasn't doing it keynote other than the state of the union of the the B2B marketing and sales. And today we still have done like nine conferences. We still don't talk about terminus. We talk about the problem and we brought a community together and that led to the resurgence of like, okay, well, this is a problem and we all need to solve. So the go-to-market strategy for us has been community first and has served us really, really well.
0: And how long did it take you to build the product once you had figured out, okay, there's clearly a problem here? we need to go and build that product. So how, how did you guys go
1: about doing that? So the product was getting built on the back end all the way. Um, I, and, and I think one of the biggest challenges uh, for us when we saw this, was because we were doing these conferences and building, and we just literally went on a road trip and did conference in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Austin, all these places where we would literally take these influencers and sales and marketing practitioners and, and talk about this and bring people together and as we went through just taking the gospel of ABM everywhere we could, we realized that we we're educating the market really fast because of the speed at which we we're going. And at the same time, we were not building the product as fast. So one of the things we were doing was alongside, we started to build the product. But you know, one of the greatest growth uh, lessons that, that we learned is that we should have been investing in our product at the same rate as we were investing in marketing and sales. And you know, that, that's a lesson learned the hard way. Uh, I wish we would have done it uh, a little bit more on that before. So give me an
0: example of why you regret that. Like what kind of problem did it cause?
1: Well, the problem it it caused was because we are so good at telling the world what the problem is, the community expected us to have the answer. And, and it makes sense, right? Okay. Yeah. These guys clearly know what they're talking about. They're able to galvanize so many people. They're able to bring 1,500 people at a conference. And they're still a so a lot of people didn't look at us as a startup company, right? Like which startup company in their first year was able to bring in like 600 or 1000 people at a conference. Typically, you don't hear that. So we were very successful to do that. So people didn't look at us as a startup. People looked at us as like, wow, this is an amazing company who's doing this thing. So they expected us to have a lot more product available. And the way we were marketing and talking about the problem made them feel even that, oh, wow, they got to have the entire package and, and everything figured out. The reality was we we didn't have it all figured out. We As a matter of fact, we're still figuring things out. We're now three years into it. And I think what it created was a persona of it. So some customers in the very early days were surprised that we don't have all the answers. and And we've been very honest about it. Like, look, we don't. So it causes a lot of people to get started with us, but then we're not able to see the success. And now as the product caught up, it is very close to the vision that we laid out as a market and the product is catching up every day. Now those customers are coming back. But in the early days, that was painful to see some customers walk away because they didn't feel happy and satisfied with what we were giving, even though they fully were invested in the problem itself and now they came back so now it feels great but the two years when we were struggling through that i think it was a really difficult times for us
0: but were those issues around the product not working as expected or was it because it lacked features that these customers expected
1: it was the latter you know people expected because you know again going back to like having 1,000-plus people at a conference and and imagining doing a keynote that says, hey, look, the utopia of the world look, requires this, that, and the other. Right. People expect us to, like, oh, great. They, they know exactly, and they're, like, ratted up, and they would run to one of our booths, and, and we're, like, well, all we really do is this one thing so right now. and you know, But slowly and surely we'll have all of it. So I think there was this mismatched expectations, and it's a lesson hard to learn, and, and in many ways, I've struggled and we and co-founders we've talked about is like, would we have done it any other way? I don't know because at the same time I hear about from other co-founders and founders of the companies that, man, they have an incredibly amazing product, but they have no market to sell to. And it, was it worse to not have a market, you know, have a great market and, and the product is kind of catching up versus, you know, have a great product, but no market. So I feel like the big lesson for us was, it was great to build the community. We would never do that. We would do we would do the same thing every time. But what we would not hold on is investing in our product team at a much faster rate. That's what we kind of did not anticipate and did not do it. And, and that kind of hurt us in the first couple of years.
0: And when you're in that situation where your prospective customers have very high expectations on what your product is going to deliver and how it's going to solve their problems... And then they see the product and, you know, it's kind of limited in functionality compared to what they expected. I guess you have a couple of options, at least like one is you can start spending a lot more time adding those features into the product, or I guess you can figure out, okay, how do we set better expectations with people before they use the product? And, you know, as kind of early stage founders, it's always you always see the the ugly parts of your baby and you're always thinking about all the things that you want to add and features you want to put in there. And so I'm just curious, like, what, what kind of path did you guys take at that point?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of sleepless nights was one path that we definitely <laughs> also tried to uh, figuring things out. So that was definitely part of it. And one of the things we did is like with the market, because, and as I started saying earlier, is we... As first-time, more or less, co-founders and building something at this scale, we started to recognize that, look, there's not a lot of times when you get an opportunity to build an entirely new category. And we stumbled on this whole category-building process. It wasn't a playbook. We just started doing it. One thing led to another. Um, Book led to a conference. Conference led to multiple conference, multi city and led to a movement into a category and all that stuff. But if you looked around and some of our investors later on reminded us like, guys, tell me the next other category. You know, Salesforce did that with the SaaS category. HubSpot did that with inbound category. Pardot and Eloqua and Marketo did that with marketing automation. And you guys are doing that with ABM. It's like there are only less than like five or 10 companies in the world We're able to do that. There is no secret sauce to this thing. It is pure, sheer muscle, love, passion for the problem. And timing is a big part of it. So you guys have struck gold from a timing perspective. Now you got to have to do the most hard problem. You guys have done the impossible. Now you need to do the hard problem of scaling a business and figuring things out. In those days, that's the conversation that kept us alive. That's the conversation because it was a time where like, oh, shit, like what did we do? moments and we're like no we are actually better off than than most of the companies right now we have to tell that convince ourselves of that the other part of this whole equation of when we think about like community first versus product first we have seen so many examples where a community will give you multiple chances to succeed is another big lesson we learn. so for example when you think about salesforce or hubspot and these companies well, the reason they've invested in the community is because every time they do this mega conference, you know, if you think about what they're doing, they're reintroducing a product and selling it to the community right to their face in front of them. And people are happy about it. People are buying tickets to buy a product of Salesforce and UpSpot at their community events. And when you take a step back and think about it, that that's a really cool place to be where you can Pivot on your product and solution, and there will be community that be open for new feature functionality and stuff like that. So we continuously look at saying that this is growing pain. This is something that we have to deal with for the next year or two, and we are pretty getting close to it. But the future, once we get caught up on it, is an incredible opportunity to be a community first organization. And the part that makes us a reminder of it is if we don't have a community, then we are a commodity. Just like everybody else, so my our big lesson still remains the same is can you know if we didn't do it this way, I don't know how would we have been able to break through the noise and actually have a voice in the market so what came first? the book or the the events The book idea came earlier, so it was like march twenty fifteen is when the book idea came about, but then I wrote a blog post that turned into a flippafala dot com website, and the conference happened in august twenty fifteen and the book launched uh, because Wiley's the whole publishing cycle and all that stuff. So the book was launched in early 2016. So we already were one or two conferences in by the time we had the book, but we were talking about it all along. Mm-hmm. So we knew there was conversation. And, and that's another leap of faith where like, who writes a book um, when you're running a company? right? That's just just crazy. But we did those things because we felt that was the best way to break through the noise in the market.
0: Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. That's kind of a pretty long play, right? To write a book as a way to build a business.
1: Yeah, I mean, it absolutely is. When I was part of for example, I'll give share that because that was a big lesson which led to a lot of the things we do here at Terminus. When I was at Pardot, we were a $10 million company that got acquired for $100 million by exact target. And within six months, we were reacquired by Salesforce for $2.5 billion. So I went from a running marketing for a $10 million company to running marketing as a business unit for a uh, like $10 billion company within that as a business unit. And I remember in that the conversation was saying, remember the marketing at Pardot? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. At the exact target at 10X. I'm like, got it. That makes sense. And then when the reacquisition happened to Salesforce, they said, hey, remember the conversation around 10X? I'm like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm thinking 10X. I'm doing 10X. They're like, no, 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 no. think 100X. That's what the scale at Salesforce looks like. And the reason I shared that story is because it reminded me of the fact that it is not about what we think who we are and what we do. It is what our customers in the market thinks, who we are and what we do. So the perception becomes reality. So by writing a book, by having a big community focus, by doing these big conferences that brings marketing sales influencers all together, along with practitioners, it elevated our brand to a level where other people would think twice to even enter the category because they're like, well, who's going to build a community of 10,000 people, right, to begin with?
0: So the events I'm trying to figure out sort of the timing here were the events like you're kind of building the product and you're saying let's start doing these events because it's a great way to reach prospective customers and get feedback, you know, and so on. Or was it was it kind of like no, this kind of event and community effort grew on its own and then it kind of helped to feed to figure out what this. Product business was going to be
1: yeah, when I mean, nothing was planned, man. I'll be lying if I said, man, we got it all figured out. We had this exact time frame mapping. It literally was when I wrote a blog that kind of went like, oh, this is really interesting. A lot of people responded to it. I ended up just buying FlipMafinal domain in March or April uh, of 2015, and uh, we said, okay, there's a lot of conversation happening, and again, we're we're, we're sitting here in Atlanta. How do we take this conference to the next level? So that led us to the first conference in August of 2015. And we did it in middle of summer in Atlanta, in August, we did our first conference and 300 people showed up to that conference uh, with, with people flying in from all over. And that became the basis that led to like, well, if you we can do this, we can go to other cities. And so in the December of that year, we did two conferences, half day in Boston, and Chicago. And that went really well. So we said, okay, well, let's just do in San Francisco now. We're big boys. So in, in March of 2016, when we launched the book, we had a conference in San Francisco. And then that was like close to 1,000 people or so in the following year, about 1,500. So th- it literally wasn't a thoughtful process. It was more of like, okay, we got this. Where do we go? We got this. Where do we go? And literally looking at two steps ahead, no more than that, and things how they transpired. Now, at the same time, we're just aggressively trying to build a product to support the demand that was creating. Because what happened as a result, as we're doing the conferences, they're like LinkedIn, Marketo, uh, Salesforce, HubSpot, all of them are sponsoring these conferences because they're seeing this new way growing. So we are able to attract a lot of incredibly amazing people to sponsor this conference that elevated, again, our brand in the marketplace to do abm as a strategic focus so all that to say i wish there was a, a here's a timeline for it but in more more or less it just became we just looked at how we can break through the noise and that is the one thing we, we have written on inside of our office everywhere challenge the status quo so whatever was status quo at that time we're like we need to challenge that if status quo is a great event in atlanta let's go somewhere else challenge quo is writing an ebook let's write an actual book We challenge status quo, is to do anything. We're just trying to reinvent ourselves and see how we can break through the noise.
0: Yeah, it kind of almost sounds a little similar to the, the Salesforce playbook from the early days.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will, as I said, I was at Salesforce, so I got I definitely a lot of inspiration coming yeah. from Salesforce. Now, we are not, I'm not Mark Benioff, and we do not have hundreds of billions of dollars of funding as they did even in 1999. He had like 50 or 100 million, which would be like a billion dollar investment right now. But comparatively, I feel like it's a much faster growth stage than than what I had even at product.
0: So one thing is that, you know, founders have a lot on their plate. On kind of the one hand, you've got to be thinking about marketing, sales, acquiring customers, building that kind of machine in terms of that cycle of getting growth cycle and then on the other side you've got the product to think about and continually you know are we building the right product you've also got to think about financing and are you you know how are you how are you funding the business are we going to go and raise money so there's all these things going on and at the same time you guys are doing these events which you tell me you're not selling terminus there so these events aren't really resulting in sales for your product
1: so just to correct uh, myself on that if if that's what it came across we had a booth at the conference just like hubspot and marketo and salesforce and linkedin all of these companies have booth at our conference Um, we, we had a booth at our conference so it was totally helping us close more deals every single time but the playbook we used for a conference was not the playbook that most companies are using a lot of companies when they do events they only invite the people they want to sell to and mostly by salespeople and they're like smaller events we kind of went with like no no our job is to educate the market so which means we are going to have early adopters and we're going to have other people in the in this this conference that may not be our customers today but they'll be our future customers if they are able to get along the ride with us so we up level the conversation so not 100 percent of the people who attended were all target accounts but The people that were there were all challenging the status quo in some way by even being at this conference and trying to look at a new way to do it, which led to the rise of it. So we closed deals like we're doing one in August right now uh, in Boston. We're expecting 1,000 plus people there and we were totally expecting closed deals as all these companies are. But we had a booth. We are not still going on the keynote stage and saying, here's our product roadmap and a platform. That's not what we're doing. We're not going into it. If people want to know about it, they can talk to Terminus, they can go to a product session and stuff like that. But the whole conference, the whole message is around still community first, let's find best practices to do it. Because tool is a tool that can only do certain things it's without a strategy. It's just a tool. So we never want to be a commodity. We want to really be a community first organization.
0: Yeah, okay, great. Uh, thanks for clarifying. That makes sense. So, so Terminus is valued at around, $100 million you have about 600 customers. What percentage of those customers came through doing these
1: events? Oh, wow. That's a that's a very really deep question because we, we, we look at events, not just the physical events uh, that we're doing. There are also meetups. Uh, we have flip on meetups that happen all over North America, even in Canada. And in Europe, which we have never been to to sell or anything, but there are flip my events, uh, meetups happening um, that people, because they believe in this idea quite a bit. So, so that's, though, there are tons of people in that. And there's this online community of 10,000 plus people that are subscribing to the newsletter that is all about how do we change way and hear the best practices and how to do certain things that have nothing to do with product, but just the way. So cumulatively, I would say that almost every deal that we close, has a touch of some sort from the conference from flip my phone right because either they're getting a book they're either attending a conference or they're part of the online community or hearing from us around because we do the podcast that is flip my phone the point is really being like how do we touch as many customers and future customers through this idea and i would say that almost 100 of them have been influenced from some aspect of the community either that might be a physical event or a webinar or a podcast Got it.
0: Now, I think you guys have raised around $20 million in funding.
1: <laughs> yeah. Later on, uh, we, we started raising money as this could cost quite a bit.
0: Yeah. And then I think the if I kind of look back, you did a seed round in somewhere around 2015 for one point something million there. For the first year or so, how, how were you guys, were you self-funded?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we we had a little bit of money from uh, the CEO of Pardot as he got, you know, got some money after selling Pardot. So we have some seed money from him, David Cummings. And then later on, it was pretty much like, you know, founder debt and founder uh, activity. So thankfully, we never had to like fully go into our debt in our pockets. The growth was self-sustaining in the first year that led us to like, okay, we can actually raise money now.
0: Okay, Cool. It's kind of interesting here because when you kind of said flip my funnel, it was like, okay, what does that actually mean? But kind of now what I'm hearing is it's like you're starting with events and kind of building community. You're using that to educate people, whether it's at these events or online or through the book. And then... Once people have kind of gone through all that, then at some point you'll get they're getting to the product,
1: yeah. And you know that what's interesting about that. i I look at that as the new normal is how I feel. I hope that founders and uh, entrepreneurs who might be listening to this podcast might want to think about as a way is that I think we go from this idea of problem to product very quickly, maybe almost too quickly, where, Okay, I know the problem. So I'm just going to go build a product and and we're going to close more deals and, and then we're going to get product market fit. And well, I challenge everybody to think about instead of product market fit, think problem market fit. And what I mean by that is instead of going from problem to product straight away, go and build a community. And it has never been easier in some ways to build a community than now like you can build an online community you can build a facebook community you can build a linkedin community you can be an events oriented community it doesn't matter how you go about doing it but there is probably a way where people that you want to reach out to are aggregating or coming together and and you want to be the one either leading that or be part of that and when you build a community it is so easy to validate all the things that you're trying to build and getting people like almost get everybody thinking about that. So when you have a product, you can essentially pitch it directly to the community. So it's almost like the community is your market that you're, you're trying to create. So so my view is instead of going from problem to product and changing the world, go from problem to community to product and then change the world in whatever way you want to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great approach. And in many ways, it's, it's kind of very similar to you know, what I've been doing here at SaaS Club obviously on a much smaller scale but you know I'd been doing this podcast for 3 or 4 years and you know it was only in the last year that I ended up building an online community through what we call SaaS Club Plus where we have educational based content we have kind of online events and kind of masterminds and and you know community forum and kind of a place for people to connect together and I'm really proud of that and and the great people that we're building a community with but I don't think any of that would have happened if I had tried to do that years ago without really. I mean, I had no, I, I had no idea or intention of doing this. It really came from people who were following the podcast and getting involved, kind of telling me, "Hey, would love if if you were doing something like this or a way for us to get more engaged." And you know, and, and that's kind of how it evolved. So I, I think, in many ways, I think you're right that maybe that should become the kind of the norm. And, and there are a lot of. Um, a number of founders that I can think of over the last kind of, you know, 180 odd interviews that I've done who have taken that approach of building a community first. And, and many of them, like, like you guys, I mean, they didn't necessarily start out saying, oh, you know, let's spend the next few years building a community and then we'll build this product. But it kind of just happened through this process of delivering value, educating people and then uh, I guess what you talked about was sort of like, you know, problem market fit and that kind of eventually comes to the surface.
1: Absolutely, man. I think we, we can't, I mean, that's where, I think a lot of the dead bodies around great products are purely because they just went directly from problem to product and there's nothing wrong with it. It's like some got lucky and some won't, but if you have a community approach, and if you do it the right way authentically, not, not from like, yeah, okay, I'm going to build a community because I want to sell to them and, and not have a serving attitude, then people will smell it. But if you do it the right way where people are getting ton of value and they want to be part of it and it's on the problem and you're always on it, then you have an unprecedented advantage as a company, as a, as a founder, as whatever you're trying to put together where people would say, you know what? that's worth spending time on and that's worth waiting for and that's worth putting that to a cause and that's worth supporting and that's when you actually start and i, I would really like the one thing that i would want people to, to really take away from anything that i'm sharing if it's worth uh in, at least for me as a big lesson is without a community all of us are building commodities and if, we, if you have to choose do you want to be in a commodity uh, war game or where it's about feature and functionality or do you want to be in a community where now you're creating tribes, now you're creating a, a passion, now you're creating consensus, now you're building something greater with a higher purpose and that changes the game. Do you talk about this kind of community-based approach in the book? No, no. The, the I mean that's like 2015 when I wrote the book. I'm, I'm actually working potentially on another book uh, that will I mean, that's a lesson that I've learned and I feel it's at the heart of it is it's community first. I think very few people are able to do it and the people who do it have seen tremendous. And I, as a matter of fact, if you even think about community first companies like especially in B2B like Salesforce and Eloqua and let's just say HubSpot, like these are all category leaders. They all got a chance to be category leaders because they build communities. They, they wouldn't have got a chance to be a category leader if they didn't have community. And the reality is none of them, Salesforce doesn't call it Salesforce, it's Dreamforce. HubSpot calls it inbound, right? Like Drift calls it Hypergrub, Terminus calls, flip my phone. It's like being authentic around the community by saying that it is not about us, it is about you. I think is, is very powerful, but really hard to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, if you write that book, I'll be uh, happy to read that. (laughs) All right, man. It's good stuff. (laughs) All right. uh, We're going to have to wrap up in in a minute. But before that, I just want to ask you about like, what's a tech scene like in Atlanta? I mean, this doesn't sound like, I mean, if we'd been having this conversation, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you must be in San Francisco. (laughs) So number one, what's it like in Atlanta? And kind of has that made that more difficult for you guys to be able to build a business like this?
1: Yeah, I think so. Atlanta is definitely growing it's great for hiring we have great talent from a technology perspective like georgia tech and all and and then like just diverse backgrounds so atlanta is great from a hiring and, and that perspective it's not so great yet from a funding perspective so all of our funding is from thankfully from east coast not as much on silicon valley it's uh, just too much like we had all, we just didn't we felt more comfortable with having somebody on east coast so all that to say is i think atlanta still has incredible opportunity with Great acquisitions like Pardot with Salesforce, uh, with uh, Silverpop that was with IBM, CloudShare pause was with Accenture. There's been like great, great, great acquisitions and big hubs created, but the VC community still hasn't had enough money to pour into it.
0: Cool. Yeah, I I would love to get down there sometime and kind of check out what's going on. It says, I, I think now that I think about it, there are a number of other companies that come to mind down in SaaS businesses in Atlanta. So... A place to watch.
1: Yeah, man, no doubt. It's, it's growing fast for sure.
0: Cool. Okay, now it's the tough part of the interview. We're going to get to the lightning round.
1: <laughs> Let's do it.
0: All right, seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Hard work. What book would you recommend to our audience and
1: why? Uh, the book that comes to mind is 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. It's by L. Reese and Jack Trout. and just goes through what doesn't change uh, as opposed to what's changing.
0: I love that book. I first kind of, I think I put it on Audible a couple of years ago. Great book. It's just like timeless lessons that I think we should all know about.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful book. And it's a quick cool read too. It's like a, like in a two-hour read. So it's perfect.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Always be learning. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: <laughs> I take Uber most days. So I can clean up my emails and be not distracted by the traffic. In Atlanta, especially, there's a lot of traffic. I almost take an hour to get home. So I try to do both morning and evening. That's my time to clean up emails, respond to all the things. So when I go home, I'm actually present with my family.
0: Nice. Uh, What's the new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: Uh, write this book that you talked about. Maybe that's, that's, <laughs> you
0: know, to do. Right, uh, Write the book and then let's get you back on here to talk about it more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: <laughs> I, I think most people don't know that I went to University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, to do my master's in computer science. Uh, and most people look at me as more of a marketer, sales kind of person. So it, it's, it's always funny when I walk by the engineering team I'm saying, what is the code that you're writing? So that's a fun conversation. <laughs> nice. And then finally,
0: what is one of your most important passions outside of your
1: work? Big believer in God and uh, just following the, the Word of God as much as possible in my life.
0: Awesome. Sangram, thanks for joining me, man. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. I loved hearing the the story of Terminus and and I think there's definitely something here in in terms of what we talked about. This kind of community based approach to building SaaS businesses or any business for that matter. Now, if people want to find out more about Terminus, they can go to terminus.com. And the book is called Account-Based Marketing for Dummies. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, I'm pretty active, almost post daily on LinkedIn on something that we're learning. So uh, LinkedIn is the best place to find me.
0: Awesome. And I'll I'll include a link to your profile there in the the show notes as well. Awesome, man. Cool. Thanks for joining me. I enjoyed the conversation uh, and I wish you guys all the best. Thank you so much, man. This was so much fun. Cheers. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team?